Antikoti Vaishnava Indiki Jai. Namacharya Shilari Das Thakur. Jai. Rev Shikalor Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nichananda Shri Doiti Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaur Bhakta Vindiki Jai. Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gogopina Shaima Kunda Radha Kunda Giri Govardhana Ki Jai. Rindavan Dhamma Ki Jai. Matura Dhamma Ki Jai. Navadrit Mayapur Dhamma Ki Jai. Jagannath Puri Dhamma Ki Jai. Ganga Maya Juluna Devi Ki Jai. Bhakti Devi Ki Jai. Tulsi Maharani Ki Jai. Samaveta Bhakta Vindiki Jai. Gaur Premanande. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Goranga. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Gauravani Pachani Nivasi Sisunivani Vaskatiade Satarane Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Utah Padakamalam Shri Guru and Vaishnavamscha Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sagana Raghunatam Vitam Samsajivam Sadvaitam Sadvadutam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sagana Lavita Shri Vishakam Vitamscha Anchakapaju Vishaki Bismaviya Vitapitanam Pavani Vaishnavamamamam Do we have a Krishna book? Yeah, one that has this that has chapter fifty one in it, either the one volume or the volume that has fifty one in it. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. December 10th, 2013, in Dallas, Texas. Reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 10, Chapter 51, The Deliverance of Machukunda, Text 51. Is that what we have? Yes. Nirjitjajik Chakram Abhuta Vigraha. Varasanasta Samarajavandita. Kreheshu Maitunyas to Keshu Yoshitam. Kreheshu Purusha Ishaniyate.
Near Jicha. Having conquered. Dick. Of directions. Chakram. The whole circle. Adbhuta. Non-existent. Vigraha. Any conflict for whom? Vara Asana. On an exalted throne. Sta. Seated. Sama, Sama. Equal. Equal. Raja. Raja. By kings. Vanditaha. Praised. Riheshu. In residences. Maitunya. Sex. Sukeshu. Whose happiness. Yoshitam. Of women. Krida Mrigaha. A pet animal. Purushaha. The person. Isha, O Lord, Niyate is led about. Translation. This is Machakunda speaking to Krishna in the cave. Having conquered the entire circle of directions and being thus free of conflict, a man sits on a splendid throne, receiving praise from leaders who were once his equals. Okay, so here you have, you've, you've conquered all directions. And people who were once equal to you are now your subordinates. And they're praising you. You're the top person. But, when he enters the women's chambers where sex pleasure is found, he is led about like a pet animal. Oh Lord. So he can conquer all the men, but he can't conquer the women. As soon as you think, I'm the top, I'm the top person, everybody's praising me, you find somebody's above you. Right? And why are they above him? Krida Mrigaha. Krida means play. Krida. Krida is play. Krishna is engaging in play. Mriga means a deer or any animal. An animal you play with. So why does he become the play animal of the women? Because he wants something from them. They have something he wants. Right? The, the other kings he was willing to take by force. But as a gentleman, he's not going to take sex by force from a woman. A gentleman doesn't take something by force from a woman. So the other men, he's willing to fight a battle of arms and defeat them by, by strength. The women, he's not willing to do that. He says, okay, please give me. So then he has to do whatever they say. Text 52. A king who desires even greater power than he already has strictly performs his duties, carefully practicing austerity and foregoing foregoing sense enjoyment. So you don't get a chance to enjoy because as soon as you think, now I have everything, then you want more. And when you want more, you have to undergo austerity. So where's your enjoyment? Just like people work hard, they get a job, they get a lot of money, and then they keep working. They want more, they want more, they want more. So where do you get a chance to enjoy it? You get in something, you enjoy it a little bit, and you say, oh, I want more, I want more. Then you have to undergo austerities. So most of the time one is undergoing austerities. But he is, whose urges are so rampant, thinking I am independent and supreme, cannot attain happiness. So this is a recurring theme in the scripture, that as long as you want more and more and more, you're never satisfied. By definition. If you're not satisfied, you're not satisfied. If you're not satisfied, you can't be peaceful. If you can't be peaceful, 
Krishna says, second chapter, you can't be happy. So I'm getting and getting and getting and getting and getting and getting and getting to be satisfied. But I'm never satisfied with what I have. So I'm never satisfied. Therefore, all the things I'm getting to make me satisfied don't bring me the peace, which is the foundation of happiness. I'm thinking, if I get more power, if I get more money, if I get a better house, if I get better friends, if I had a better body, whatever, you know. More, better, more, better, more, better, more, better. Once I got that, once I get that, I'll, I'll get to this point where then I'll become happy. If I just got this, or this, or this, or this, or this, or this, or this. Whether it's a thing, whether it's a living situation, whether it's a certain kind of relationship, where it's a certain kind of residence, where it's a certain kind of ability. If I only got this, and then you get that, and maybe you feel satisfied for a moment, and then immediately you think, oh, what about this? Wait a minute, wait a minute, I don't have this. So you're not really, except for maybe a few moments here and there, in a position of satisfaction. But happiness comes from satisfaction. Happiness doesn't come from having this and 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 this. How can you feel happy if you're not satisfied? Is that possible? Krishna says you can't have happiness without peace. It's just impossible. So what's the solution? Text 53. When the material life of a wandering soul has ceased, O Achuta, he may attain the association of your devotees, and when he associates with them, there awakens in him devotion unto you, who are the goal of the devotees and the Lord of all causes and their effects. So when you finally say, enough is enough, is enough, is enough, done. Let me look for something else, somewhere else. Then you get the association of devotees, and by the association of devotees, you get the Lord. Purport. Acharya's Jiva Goswami and Vishwanath Chakravati agree on the following point. Although it is stated here that when material life ceases, one attains the association of devotees, in fact, it is the association of the Lord's devotees that enables one to transcend material existence. Jiva Goswami explains this apparent inversion of sequence by quoting the Kavya Prakasha 10.153 as follows. Karya Karanayos Cha Pora Porya Viparyo Vigneyatish Shayok Tihi Syatsya. A statement in which the logical order of a cause and its effect is reversed should be understood as Ati Shayoki, emphasis by extreme assertion. Shilajiva Goswami cites the following commentary on the statement Karanasya Shigra Karitam Vaktum Karyasya Purvam Uttau. To express the swift action of a cause, one may assert the result before the cause. In this connection, Srila Vishwanath Chakravati points out that the merciful association of the Lord's devotees makes possible our determination to become Krishna conscious. And the Acharya agrees with Srila Jiva Goswami that this verse is an instance of Ati Shayokti. Okay, I'd like to read from Prabhupada's Krishna book on these verses also. My dear Lord, not only do we become under the full control of, the ine- of this inevitable time after death, but also while living in a different way. For example, I may be a powerful king, and yet when I come home after conquering over the world, I become subjugated to many material conditions. It may be that when I come back after being victorious, all subordinate kings come and offer their respects. But as soon as I enter into the inner chamber of my palace, I myself become an instrument in the hands of the queens, and for sense gratification, I have to fall down at the feet of women. 
The material way of life is so complicated that before taking the enjoyment of material life, one has to work so hard that there is scarcely an opportunity for enjoying. And to attain the youthful condition with all material facilities, one has to undergo severe austerities and penances and become elevated to the heavenly planets. If one gets the opportunity of taking birth in a very rich or royal family, even then in that condition, he is always anxious to maintain the status quo and prepare for the next life by performing various kinds of sacrifices and by distributing charity. Even in the royal condition of life, one is not only full of anxieties because of political administration, but he is also in anxiety over being elevated to heavenly planets. It is therefore very difficult to get out of the material entanglement, but somehow or other, if one is favored by you, by your mercy only, he is given the, the opportunity to associate with a pure devotee. That is the beginning point of liberation from the entanglement of material conditional life. My dear Lord, only by the association of pure devotees is one entrapped by your Lordship, who is a controller of both the material and spiritual existences. You are the supreme goal of pure devotees, and by association with pure devotees, one can develop his dormant love for you. Therefore, development of Krishna consciousness in the association of pure devotees is the cause of liberation from this material entanglement. So here we have a contrast between association with materialistic persons for materialistic purposes and association with devotees for spiritual purposes. So, I know in my own life, association with materialistic people means that everybody is envious of everybody. I remember before I joined the Hare Krishna movement, I had a job as a baker in a Marriott hotel. I used to make all the breads and the cakes and the pies. And I, for me, it was just a summer job. Just to earn a little extra money. It's a summer job. But pretty much everybody else in that kitchen wanted to be the hotel manager. You know, the lady dipping the onion rings and the guy washing the pots. And they were all taking courses in hotel management. And they were all envious of the managers. Their whole motive was envy of the managers. Yeah, I'll work this job. And the, the owners were envious of the workers. They tried to get as much work out of us for as little pay as possible. I remember they were uh, fixing the parking lot. So we had to park at a distance and take a shuttle. The shuttle went every 15 minutes, but not at a set time. And if you missed the shuttle by two minutes, you had to wait another 15 minutes. But it didn't go at a set time. So you didn't know exactly when it was going to go. And if you were more than two minutes late to punch in on the time clock, they docked a half an hour from your pay. So you had to get to the parking lot, to the far parking lot, very, very early in order to get the shuttle. And you almost always got to work early. But if you got to work early, you didn't get paid for being early. But if you came late, they docked you for being late. That means they're envious. They don't, they don't want to give the employees their due. Or just like yesterday, coming here, the flight was canceled. They don't even tell you it's canceled. You, you go online to get your boarding pass, then you find out it's canceled. And you call the airline. We're getting so many calls, sorry. And they hang up on you. <laughs> anyway, finally, finally I get through and they book me on another flight. And then I looked it up and the new flight was something, I think, $60 less than the original flight. So I thought, okay, well, if you, change, if you change your flight and you get a flight that's $60 more, you have to pay the additional $60. When they change your flight and it's $60 less, 
they should pay you the $60, right? So I called them again and again. We were getting too many calls, and they hung up on me over and over again. Finally, I get someone who said, well, we don't pay you. I said, could you give me a better seat for free? No. So this is material relationships is like that. How can I get from you? How can I get from you? And I just like, I give the example all the time. We all like a sale. We all like to buy things on sale. Half off. And nobody complains, oh, the poor store, they're not making any money. Nobody goes to the shopkeeper and says, I feel so sorry that I'm, I'm buying this for half off. You must be losing money on this item. Can I pay you the full price anyway? No, nobody says that. Yeah, our, our mood is to take. So here Mujakunda is saying, I take from all the surrounding kings. They were equal to me. I make them my subordinates. Now he really talks about this with Drew Maharaj, our relationships with people. If somebody's higher than me, I try to bring them down. <clears throat> right? Don't we do that? We find somebody who's higher than us, and we find some fault in them. I mean, we have to be frank, this goes on even in our Hare Krishna movement. There are whole websites dedicated to finding fault with anybody who has a position in the Hare Krishna movement. A few years ago, one of the GBC asked me if I wanted to get some title to work with the GBC. I said, no, 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 no title. I said, any title means I get a target on my forehead and one on my back. Oh, somebody with a title. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> I said, let me do the service without the title, please. So as soon as you see that somebody is, is above you, then immediately we think, oh, what, what, they have this fault, they have this fault, they have this fault, they have that fault. Prabhupada tells a story about the, the people who go to their friend, oh, you know so-and-so from our childhood, he's become a high court judge. Him? No, no way, he couldn't have become a high court judge. No, really, I saw him sitting on the bench. Oh, he must be serving without salary then. And if, if, you, if you notice, you'll notice we, we do this. Anybody who's exalted, we find, oh, he's putting his dhoti on him. Something. Find some, some way to try to bring them down. And if someone's equal, like what Jakun just said, someone equal, we try to make them subordinate. So he's enjoying, what Jakun as the king, was enjoying that the formerly equal kings are now praising him. And if somebody's already subordinate, we try to keep them there. You see this, you know, in very grossly in, in history. Where, you know, if... if uh, just like in America, there used to be slaves here in Texas. So the masters worked very hard to keep the slaves slaves. Don't educate them. You know, we're in, in communist countries. Like here we have a right to, to peacefully assemble for a redress of grievances to the government. They don't allow that in communist countries because they want to make sure the people never get enough power. Here we have power of the people, by the people, for the people. In communist countries, let the people have no power. Keep them subordinate. You know, in Saudi Arabia, don't let the women drive a car. So if someone's subordinate, you want to put in restrictions to keep them subordinate. Someone's equal, you want to push them down to subordinate. Someone's higher, you want to pull them down. So this is all envy. Or here he's talking about the relationship between men and women. So both the men and the women want to have power over each other. The men want to have power over the women by maintaining them. 
Okay, I'm maintaining you, I'm providing you with money, I'm providing you a house, I'm providing you children, I'm providing you this and that. So you have to do what I say. And the women try to have power over the men by being very attractive. Oh, you want to enjoy sex with me? Then you have to do what I say. You know, a lot of, a lot of times women, modern women, complain about being seen as sex, as sex objects. But a materialistic woman wants to be seen as a sex object. That's how she is, how she gets power. One devotee was writing an article about how women shouldn't dress immodestly. And I said, but you gotta figure out why women do that. I said, they do that either to attract a man if they don't have any, or to have power over men. Like holding out a little candy, you know. I have something you might want. Do what I say, and I might give it to you. So we, we try to have, we're trying to have the advantage, is my point. Everyone is trying to have the advantage. Everyone is trying to get more than they give. We want to come out ahead. We want to make a profit. Profit, adoration, and distinction. We want to make a profit. None of us really wants to be a non-profit entity. We want everyone to praise us, and we want distinction, not distinction in the sense of individuality, but we want to be better than everyone. We want to get everyone's praise. He's talking here about adoration and praise. We want to be distinct and higher than everybody else, and we want profit at others' expense. Profit means at others' expense. That's the definition of profit. Problem is everybody else wants the same thing. So therefore, there's unlimited conflict and heartache. If I'm trying to manipulate you, and you're trying to manipulate me, and I'm trying to push you down, and you're trying to push me down, then there's simply conflict and, and sorrow. And you can't really connect with anybody, can you? Can you really connect with somebody that you're trying to make a profit off of? Can you empathize with them? Can you really understand them? Can you really feel some kind of oneness and connection? No, it's not possible. And we do this with material nature also. Talk about ecology and, and loving the environment, but we're trying to profit from nature. We're trying to force the earth to give more than she wants to give by artificially pouring so many chemicals in her. Or the horrible, horrible, horrible way people are treating animals. Let's get, you know, not only are they killing the animals bad enough that they're killing the animals, well, let's get more and more and more and more meat on the animals faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. They keep them in the dark their whole life, don't let them move, I feed them with so many horrible drugs. So to take and to take and to take and to take. And because of this taking and exploiting, uh, it has no end. We're always worrying that somebody's going to take from me and exploit me. Because they will. As soon as I have some weakness, somebody will exploit me, and somebody will take from me. So therefore, what you're going to say, we have to do austerities. Even if we get in a position where we're exploiting and enjoying and taking from everybody, we're afraid we won't be able to keep that position, because we won't. Scripture says you go up, you come down, you go up, you come down. So therefore... <laughs> Even if you get into a position where you can so-called enjoy, and you have to try to maintain that position with austerities and sacrifice. And you worry, where will I go after death? Will I have an enjoyable position in my next life? Of course, nowadays people, I don't know if they worry about that. They're just worried about, you know, 
next month. And so as Krishna says in the 16th chapter, always full of anxieties, hundreds and thousands of plants, always full of anxieties. You can't trust anybody. Nobody can trust you. You don't want to connect with anybody. You're always afraid of losing what you have, always undergoing austerities, not having any happiness. Pretty bleak. It's pretty bleak. And it, it's very hard to say this generally because people want to have this illusion that everything's nice and my friends are my real friends and everyone, oh yes, we care, we love, and we all, but it's, it's a lie. It's a lie. Exactly like the business says, customer service is our priority. It's a lie. They're giving you so-called customer service so they can make a profit off why? And everybody, everybody knows it at heart because they see that that's what's in their own heart. So this is just simply poison. This is, of course, motor passion ignorance. Motor ignorance is just simply poison. Motor ignorance is gross. Motor ignorance, I don't even pretend that I like you. I just out and out exploit you. Motor ignorance is just, you know, raping, stealing. That's a lot of ignorance. I don't even look for a sale. I just break the window and take something. Or I out and out cheat. So therefore, it's just misery from beginning to end. There's not even an illusion of, of love and connection and, and caring and peace. And mode of passion, it looks like it's nectar at the beginning. It looks like, oh yes, we have nice customer service. Oh, we love each other so much. Oh, we really care about each other. All for one and one for all. We're going to be there. And it looks like that. But underneath is all right. There's, everybody has an agenda. And sooner or later that becomes obvious. Sooner or later you realize that I'm not going to meet my agenda. I was just hearing yesterday, Prabhupada saying, the lion is the king of the jungle, but no animal comes forward and says, my dear sir, but can I be your dinner today? So at a certain point, one realizes everybody else has an agenda for me. Everybody else wants to eat me. Everybody is my friends and family and my government and the businesses I deal with and everybody. And if you're honest, you realize I also have an agenda and nobody's walking into my mouth. And it's, it's all false. Maya, that which is not. It looks like something and it's not. It's something else. So at a certain point, a living entity... Hopefully, on your Bhagavan here we say Brahmato also in the verse, text 53, Brahmato, wandering. After wandering and wandering and trying this in all different ways, let me try to exploit as a man, let me try to exploit as a woman, let me try to exploit on earth, let me try to exploit in heaven, let me try to exploit as a king, let me try to exploit as a sage, let me try to exploit as a business person, let me try to exploit as an outgoing person, let me try to exploit as an introverted person, let me try to exploit as an artist, let me try to exploit as a scientist, let me try to exploit as a bird, as a lion, let me try all these and the tendency is still to think like that. Oh, if only I were more introverted, if only I were more outgoing, if only I were more organized, if only I were more creative, if only I were more this, if only I were more that. So at a certain point, Brahmanya Brahmite, Brahmite, here we have, Brahmite. One becomes, with this, as Muchakunda says, Bhav Apavargo. Pavarga is this hard struggle, foaming at the mouth. At a certain point, you realize you're on a hamster wheel. You've all seen a hamster wheel? Have you all seen a hamster wheel? 
No? So when they take care of, of, of rodents, you go to a pet store. So they keep them in a little cage. But the animal, if it doesn't get exercise, it will get sick. So they put in a wheel. And the animal gets on the wheel and it runs. And it runs and it runs and it runs and it runs and it runs. But it's just always staying. Sometimes it loops around the wheel. But it's not going anywhere. It's thinking of going somewhere, going somewhere, going somewhere, going Where was I? Where was it? I think it was in L.A. Anyway, someplace I was recently. Oh, it was Irvine, Southern California. So we went to a shop, and we were right by the highway, and you see the cars going, shoom, 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 shoom. And I was thinking how when Prabhupada first came to America, he'd never seen anything like that in India. I mean, now you see that in India between Mumbai and Pune. But, you know, you know, even between Delhi and Mandalay, but not that fast. No one's going 70 miles an hour. Prabhupada had never seen anything like that. He says, where are they going? So on the hamster wheel. So at a certain point you get, you say, where am I going? I'm not getting anywhere. Now it's interesting here which comes first. Is that I'm not getting anywhere and therefore Krishna sends the devotees? Or because you meet a devotee you realize you're not getting anywhere? So here Machapunja says, those who realize they're not getting anywhere, they get the association of devotees. But Vishnu Chakravati Chakravati Jiva Goswami, we see in Krishna book also, Srila Prabhupada, that you meet the devotees first. But this is, it's a difficult thing. Vishnu Chakravati Chakravati Madhurya Kadambadi talks about how does bhakti start? Where does it start from? And Krishna talks about the four pious persons who come. You know, the, the person in wanting material things hasn't really decided to get off the wheel, and the person wanting to be free from distress hasn't really decided to get off the wheel unless they're wanting freedom from distress in terms of salvation. The curious person a little bit, I wonder what's going on. What's happening? Who am I? Is there a God? Something's wrong here. Something's wrong here. And then Krishna sends a devotee. Now without the devotee, you can't figure out what's right. That's for sure. Without the devotee, you can figure out there's something wrong here. Something's funny. I want unlimited happiness. Everybody wants unlimited happiness. And it just doesn't happen. I want love. Everybody wants love. The devotees told Prabhupada about that song, Don't You Want Somebody to Love? And Prabhupada said, Yes, everybody wants somebody to love. Everybody wants to love and be loved. Just doesn't happen. It's not really love, it's something else. Everybody wants to know, to understand. But it's not happening. I don't, I, the more I know, the more I realize I don't know. The more I understand, the more I realize I don't understand anything. My senses are so imperfect. So, and amazingly We all want vibrant life forever. We all want to be young and vibrant and healthy forever. Just a special call you that just doesn't work. You can do all the exercises and take all the vitamins and the raw food and 
we're still going to get old and die, and we're still going to get sick. But why is it we want something that's not here? Or I'm thinking of writing about the Krishna's six opulences. Somebody sent me a video the other day about how that the women in the movies and the magazines, the pictures, are all uh, distorted. You know, they take, a, they take a photograph of a real woman and then they fix it with Photoshop to make her a little smaller over here and a little bigger over here and a little bit more even skin texture and a little bit, you know, they, 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 they switch it. And the people commenting on the video said, nobody looks like this. Not only do the models, the original models, not look like this, they said, nobody looks like this. I was meditating on it and thinking, then why would we want it? If this standard of beauty doesn't exist anywhere on the planet, if nobody has a waist that small, and nobody has eyes that big, where, where does it come from that we have this standard of beauty in our, in our head? Where does that urge for beauty that doesn't exist here come from? Where does the urge for unlimited happiness come from in a place of very limited and temporary happiness? Where does the urge for an eternal, blissful, youthful, healthy life come from in a world of old age and disease and death? Where does the urge for knowledge and understanding come from in a world of ignorance? Why do we have that urge? And everybody has it. It's not just me. I want it. I want to be beautiful like that. And I want everyone I look at to be beautiful like that too. I want to have strength and health and, and I want to be in a world like that. So an intelligent person starts asking, why is it I have desires? And everyone has these desires that cannot be fulfilled in this way. What's going on? What's, what's happening here? Why is it that when I get everything I'm told to get, I'm still not satisfied? I get the house, I get the car, I get the degree, I get the job, I get the beautiful family, I get the money, I get this and that and the other thing. And I go, is that it? Why? What's wrong? Right before I moved into the temple, I wrote this little poem. Drops of poison covered with candy. Why is it? It looks like candy, but it's not as poison. It just makes you sick, disappointed. So interestingly, in the 20th chapter of Krishna book, Prabhupada says, the materialist sees the world as very aggressive, but the devotee sees that everything is happily situated. So one gets to a point, how can I see everything is happily situated, even in this world? And when one has that desire, Krishna sends a devotee. And the devotee says there's another way. The reason you have these desires, the reason you have these urges, is because there is a place of fulfillment. Why would we have thirst if we're not meant to drink water? You know, there's some desert creatures that never drink water, did you know? They get water like from plants. They never drink water directly. But if I'm in a desert, I want to drink water. Why? Because I'm not a desert creature. 
Now, if you've grown up in a desert, like in places in the Middle East, basically it never rains, or almost never, very rarely. Places like Dubai, Bahrain, Qatar, it never rains. Maybe it'll drizzle once every two or three years. It doesn't rain. At all. If you grow up in those places, you know, you don't know what rain is. So, in a material consciousness, we're like, why am I thirsty? But there's no water. Everything that looks like water is not water. And the devotee says, there's water over here. Here's water. Where is our satisfaction? Our satisfaction is in the association of devotees who have the Lord as the center. Now, to the materialistic mind, that looks like poison. Association devotees means I have to be humble, I offer all respect to others, I don't ask any in return. Not only, not only am I looking for other people who won't exploit me, but I have to give up the exploitive mentality. I have to give up the desire to be the supreme. And that looks like poison. It really does look like poison. And it can take us 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years or 50 lifetimes to decide to give that up. I meet you not a piece of each and as to worry about so you should not mind that money and I care to this. We want everybody to be non-exploitive with me. But I don't want to be non-exploitive. I'm so terrified that if I don't try to be the top and I don't hold something over people and I don't criticize people, how will I get what I need? I'm so afraid that if I completely give up this exploiting attitude and just have Krishna as my Lord, he was saying Krishna is the Lord of the devotees, that if Krishna is the master and I'm just a servant, that I'll get everything I need billions and billions and billions of times. Because I'm so accustomed to thinking of servant as poison. Do you know of any parents who raise their children to be servants? Especially in America? I don't think so. Especially, we don't have so many Indians here today. So, especially Indian families. Can you imagine Indian families coming to America? My dear son, please become a servant. Can you imagine? My dear son, please become a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. Make as much money as possible. Oh, no, I'd rather just be a servant. I'd rather just become a janitor. Oh, shame to the family. Yes? We don't want to have any servants anymore. We have all mechanical servants now. We have a mechanical servant to wash our clothes and cook our food, etc., etc., etc. So it looks to us like poison. And therefore, even in our association of devotees, it's very hard for us to give up this exploitive mentality and really have an association of devotees. It's really difficult. It's not easy. You know, we come to the to ISKCON, to the Hare Krishna movement, thinking, okay, now I'm going to walk into the spiritual world, but we don't realize that it's made up of people like me. And maybe I'm not in that mentality yet. Maybe I still think the world is a very aggressive place. Maybe I still think one living entity is food for another.
If a Prabhupada was asked, do you make more advancement living in the temple? He said, that depends on whether or not your mind is on another subject matter. In the early days of ISKCON, we thought that Kanista, Majjama, and Uttama were geography. The closer you slept to the deities, the more advanced you were. You know, if you had a home across the street, you weren't so advanced. We used to think like that. You know, you had to live in the Ramachari ashram. Some people still think that. The most advanced devotees are living in the temple ashram, and if a householder lives across the street, automatically he's not so advanced. But it's much more where you put your consciousness. Are we putting our are we, are we adopting the mentality of the devotees? We have the association of the devotees, certainly. Even if you think there's no other pure devotees in the Hare Krishna movement, which is not true, there's many pure devotees in the Hare Krishna movement. But even if someone thinks there's nobody but Prabhupada, we certainly still have Srila Prabhupada's association. And we certainly have through the books the association of Narayani and Jiva Goswami and Vishnu Chakravati Thakur talking to us from out of the purport. So then it becomes up to us. Do I want to become like the devotees? What do I want to do with this association of devotees? Do I want to bring in my aggressive, dog-eat-dog, exploitive mentality? Do I want to drag that with me? Do I want to say I want to become a devotee just for the bliss? Recently a devotee was asking me, you know, what happened to the taste? And I kept thinking when he was talking to me, we're so interested in our own bliss. You know, so it's, I didn't say that to him, but I kept thinking. I kept thinking, it's about Krishna's bliss. So we're holding on to this. I have to be the top dog. Krishna has to give me the bliss. The devotees have to give me the bliss. Instead of that, I only be a servant. Let me not worry if somebody gets a sale price at my expense. Or let me stop keeping score. It's not, it's, it's not about that. The world is not an aggressive place. It's only an aggressive place if, if you're in, in Maya, <laughs> if you're in illusion about what things are. We're all equal. We're all equal. And Krishna's provided yoga kshema bhanya. says in the second chapter, 245. New yoga kshema Don't worry about what do I already have? How can I protect what I have? How can I get what I don't have? Why? Yoga kshema bhanya. Shame is anxiety. Yoga is what you already have. I'll take care of it. You just, just serve This is the benefit of the association of devotees. So all of us here, we've already gotten to the point where we said enough of this hamster wheel. Enough of this dog-eat-dog. Enough of this I exploit you, you exploit me. Enough of this it looks like customer service, but it's really, you know, something else. really how to get the most out of the customers and keep them smiling while they're giving it to us. Like Krishna says, I'm cheating, I'm gambling. Gambling is you cheat somebody out of their money, but they do it voluntarily. That's why it's the best cheating. Everybody puts their money down on the table and then you take it all. But they put it down on the table. You didn't have to steal it out of their pocket. You didn't have to con them. You openly said to them, okay, everybody put your money on the table. And if I win, I'm going to take it all. And they think, well, if I win, I get to take it all. 
And so one gets tired of all this. We're already tired of all this, but are we ready to jump into the association of devotees? Are we ready to see that the world is happily situated? Are we ready to see that we have everything that we need? Are we ready to see that we don't need to exploit anymore? And are we ready to see that nobody can actually exploit us? That we're connected with the perfect and complete, and therefore we perfectly and completely have everything that we need. We do not need to exploit anybody, nor do we need to worry about anybody so-called exploiting us. Rakhi Krishna, Marikei, Marikrishna, Rakhi Nobody can exploit us. Or, no, actually, nobody can exploit us. But nobody can even appear to exploit us without Krishna's sanction. But nobody can exploit us. As Krishna is perfect and complete, when we realize that we're part of Krishna, we also realize that we're perfect and complete. Nobody can take anything from us. Nobody can deny us anything. Nor do we have any need, as Krishna says, to depend on any other living being. We don't need anything from anybody, and nobody can hurt us. And then what is the harm with being a servant? Then we actually enter into the association of devotees, not just with our body, not just taking our body and putting it in the association of devotees and going through the motion, but really entering into the association of devotees. Then we really feel the association of Srila Prabhupada. Then we really feel the association of Jiva Goswami Vishnu Chakrabhati Thakur. We really feel the association of Muchakunda. And we really feel the association of Radhakrishna. And we start entering into their leafless even in this life. So that looks like poison. Give up your false ego, become servant, don't exploit anybody, don't care if somebody so-called exploits you because they can't really get you. Be humble, be renounced, be satisfied with what you have, be satisfied with what comes with minimal endeavor according to dharma. That all looks like poison. Oh my God. I'll be a poor, poverty-stricken person lying on the street. Well, you know what? Even the big, you know, bankers and government leaders who try so hard to exploit sometimes end up as poor, poverty-stricken persons on the street. So if that's going to happen, it's going to happen. Despite one's best in death. So what do we want? Candy-covered poison or poison-covered candy? We have to decide. And that decision is not just made externally. It's not just made by saying, I'm going to join the Hare Krishna movement, I'm going to get initiated. It's not just made like that. That's a good start. That's a good start. That's not nothing. That's something. But it's not everything. It's not the whole thing. And if we don't do the real step, then our so-called association of devotees doesn't feel like that. That it can feel like, you know, we're still dragging in the other mentality. So just imagine if, if in our temples and our societies we really had this mood that just Krishna's the center and I want to serve you and Krishna's providing what I need I don't need you to serve me. And I'm serving you out of my fullness because Krishna's giving me everything. I'm not serving you to try to get something back in return. I'm not trying to exploit you. I'm not trying to cheat you. But, you know, we don't have to wait for everybody else to do it. We can start doing it ourselves. When we start doing it ourselves, we find that the spiritual world is already here. Krishna's in our heart. We're We believe Who believes Krishna's in their heart? At least in theory. 
Who believes Krishna's on the altar? At least theoretically, who believes Krishna's on the altar? All right, then the spiritual world's already here. Just a question of tapping into it. That's all. This probably gives the example that there's television and radio waves going through the air. So right now in this room, there's television and radio waves going through the air. And there's also internet waves going through the air. Probably seeing so many things. And as soon as you have the right instrument, you can capture them. But they're already here. They're already here. Just a question of capturing them. So the association of devotees is already here. I don't have to wait for ISKCON to become perfect. I don't think ISKCON's ever going to become perfect in that sense. Especially since we're preaching and we're constantly inducting new people. So I don't think that's going to happen. But I can still experience in ISKCON that I'm in the spiritual world if I choose to. If I choose to enter in that mentality, then I'll pick up that because Radhakala Chanji is here, that Vrindavan must be here too. Must be. All their leelas must be going on here. They must be going on in this property. And all of the leelas must be going on in my heart. So, in fact, I already have the instrument. I don't even have to purchase it from some other place. I just simply have to tune it according to the direction of the devotees. And mostly what that's about is giving up the desire to exploit and giving up the desire to be the chief and giving up the desire to push everyone else down. As Nardin, when he said to Jurumaraj, he said, that he just, when you see somebody better than you, become joyful instead of becoming envious, become joyful. When you see someone equal to you instead of trying to push them down, become friends. When you see somebody lower than you, bring them up. He said, if you do this, amazing, amazing, amazing verse in the fourth canto. He said, if you do this, you'll be free from all material miseries. Because then you'll be in harmony with Krishna. So this is one of the many lessons here from Machikunda. That materially contaminated dealings are candy-covered poison. They look good, but they're full of grief. And the one who gets tired of them comes to the seemingly poison-looking candy that's full of bliss with Krishna at the center. Now one who takes that and never wants anything else. So questions, comments, additions, subtractions, corrections, chastisements. I get them sometimes, I figure I might as well ask for them. Yeah. Is this being being... Telecast. Telecast? Is there a camera? I was looking. Is there a camera? Right there. I was looking, looking, looking. I didn't see one. Oh, there it is. Hi, Krishna. Thank you for the nice class. It's great to hear from you. I've been selling your Dr. Best books. Oh, what a friend. I'm one of your book distributors. Oh, that's lovely. That's lovely. Thank you. Thank you. I put a whole kid section of my book tables and they're very popular. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. My question has to do with um, in devotional service, sometimes we have this idea, especially this time of year, that there is a competition, a transcendental competition that Prophet encouraged to try to you know, do something more or do something, you know, special for Krishna's pleasure, for Guru's pleasure, but also in competing with one another. 
And then we also have this idea that, <clears throat> you know, yeah, the Vaikuntha atmosphere is to push everyone else forward, is to, yes. you know, yeah. So, how do you um, adjust that? Because it seems to be, you know, one is competition, the other is like facilitation, the other is like, um, you know, pushing others forward. Can oh, you talk a little bit about that? What a brilliant question. You know, Krishna Das Kaviraj talking about pushing others forward says that when Radharani enjoys with Krishna, the gopis enjoy a hundred times more than when they're with Krishna. And when other gopis are enjoying with Krishna, Radharani enjoys ten million times more than when she's with Krishna. So therefore, Radharani is always telling Krishna, why don't you go see the other gopis? And the other gopis say, well, why don't you go to Radharani? So they're always pushing each other forward. And this is the... Radharani is Ladini Shakti as the primary personification of devotional service. When we say you have to enter into the mood of the gopis, that, that's understood at many levels. But one level is that all pure devotees, not just the gopis, but all pure devotees, not even just in Vrindavan, but in Mathura and Dwarka and Vaikuntha and Ayodhya, they all have this mood of pushing others forward. They all have this mood. That, but that mood is for Krishna. Krishna wants to enjoy with all his parts and parcels. It will give Krishna pleasure if all of his parts and parcels are happy. It's like in the, in the Bible, it says, uh, How happy it is when all brothers are sitting together in peace. Or a similar thing is there with the Prachetas, where Lord Vishnu told the ten Prachetas, I'm very happy that you've cooperated with one another. My oldest son has nine children, and if, the, if at dinner time somebody's made cook something very special, so the parents don't like it if the children are, are competing in such a way to deprive each other. You know, if somebody made cookies or something like that, or Korma's potato cottage cheese rolls with cranberry sauce. And often when you make something special, there's not enough for everybody to have, you know, a hundred. But if one child takes five and then the other child doesn't get any, the parents are not happy. They're not pleased. So you have to make sure that everybody has. So the devotee is trying to push everyone else forward because they know that Krishna is pleased when all the living entities are pleased. And Krishna Daskaraj says that when Krishna sees this behavior of the gopis, he becomes very satisfied. That the gopis are pushing each other forward. Actually, interesting, I was just reading in Anandavrindavan Champu how during the holy festival, that uh, Krishna starts playing holy with Chandravali and Radhavani leaves. Why does she leave? Oh, let Krishna enjoy with this other group of gopis. So there's, there's this mood of, of pushing the others forward. But then there's also a competition. touch Krishna first, who can please Krishna the best. But it's a very friendly competition. Just like if you play a game with your friend and they win, you're also happy. If they're really your friend. Who are those, those the tennis sisters? Williams. Was what are their names? I have some relatives who are into tennis. Serena. Serena and Anyway, the two sisters. So sometimes they play each other. 
Now, even though they each like to win, I'm sure they're also happy if their sister wins. So if we really care about someone, we're also happy when they win. Or just like if you have children. So you're happy if your children do better than you. Well, you've got to be really envious to not want your children to do better than you. Some parents are like that. But that's very unusual. There are parents who will work, you know, two jobs so their children can get a college degree when they didn't get one. I was reading a story of somebody who had, they'd fled Eastern Europe uh, under the Nazi regime. They had left their education, they hadn't finished their education, came to America, worked at low-level jobs. But when one of their children got a college degree, they felt, oh, it's as good as if I've achieved a college. So the competition is non-envious, it's not malicious. I'm not competing to take something from you. I'm competing because Krishna consciousness is always expanding and expanding and expanding and expanding and expanding and getting better and better and better and better and better. So it's more inspiration. Oh, I see you've done something nice for Krishna. Okay, let me do something even nicer for Krishna. And then you see I've done something. Oh, let me do something even nicer. Let me do something even nicer. Let me do something even nicer. So that's also pleasing. When the children are competing without envy to please the parents, that's also very pleasing. So Krishna is pleased with that non-envious competition. More inspir- it's more inspir- inspirational. You know, how would it be like if you said, oh, that devotee is serving Krishna very nicely. I'll just go to sleep. Well, that's not going to please Krishna. Oh, yeah, it was when I got Shivaram Swami's, when I got the first box of his nine books, these four books on all of Krishna's Leela's sons. Have you seen those books? Wow. Look at these books. Guys, hardback books with gold and, the, and beautiful illustrations and all the details. And, and I looked at that and I thought, oh, my God, I haven't done anything for Prabhupada. i got to get up and go do something for Shivaram. That kind of competition. You know, like Houston, they see this temple, they say, well, we're going to build a bigger one. (laughs) 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 They're winning. They're winning on that one. So like that. So yes, always, always pushing everyone else forward and also always being inspired by everyone else. It's all about making Krishna happy. Oh, they make Krishna happy? Let me also make Krishna happy. Let me also make Krishna happy. You go and make Krishna happy too. Do you go to anybody want to like bomb the Houston temple because they're building a bigger temple? Aren't you happy for their happiness? Aren't you going to go to the opening ceremony? Of course. And you're not going to go, well, they're building a temple, but they have this problem, that and we're in Dallas, we do. <laughs> Hopefully you're not going to do that. That makes sense? Yes, thank you so much. That's a very wonderful question. No one's ever asked that question like that. People have asked a similar question. Many people have asked about what is transcendental competition, but no one has put those two things together and asked that question with those two things together. So. I mean, I think you can get a picture of it in your mind. Can't you be both competing with people and pushing them forward? 
they're inspiring you to do more and more and more, and yet you're pushing them forward. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no, you don't care if they win, there is no winning, really. It's not like that. And there's no winning at someone else's expense. Like Prabhupada said, Krishna loves Radha, he's embracing Radharani, he's embracing the cow. It's not like Krishna's just with Radharani and the other gopis are all crying. Or the cowherd boys are just all crying, or, you know, it's not like that. It's not, it's not at someone else's expense. Yeah. Does anyone else have a question first? Somebody else? Yes. I was curious, because what's your point that actually was being humble and he's saying that he was um, subservient to his wives? Because it's natural in household life to, um, there's a license for sense gratification. And it's natural to have children. No, he wasn't being humble, he was being factual. Even if you're married, you know, like, like now they're recognizing that there's marital rape. 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 Now it's becoming legally recognized. Just because you're married to someone doesn't mean you can rape them. It has to be willing. So a gentleman knows if I want sense gratification from even my wife, she's got to be happy with me. It's got to be voluntary. Everything's ultimately voluntary, you see. Even if you marry someone, you have a contract, but it's still voluntary. As soon as you think this person is obligated, as soon as the wife thinks my husband is obligated to earn the money, or the man thinks my wife is obligated to cook the dinner, or whatever, then the whole relationship becomes spoiled. Everything is voluntary, actually. And Prabhupada talked about devotional service, individual, spontaneous, and voluntary. But everything is voluntary. There's only two things that are not voluntary. What are the two things we have to do, absolutely have to do, in all circumstances? We have no choice about it. Chant or no? No, that's voluntary. Be born and die. No, that, you have to come to the material world for that. No. No, you don't have to do that. You can rebel against Krishna if you want. Well, that's if you have a body, but you have to exist. We have to exist. We cannot not exist. That's not an option. We have to exist. We cannot cease to exist. And the other thing, our Sanatana Dharma is to serve. serve. We must serve. We are givers. Krishna is the ultimate giver. We are also givers. We must exist and we must give. We must serve. Those things we don't have an option about. We have an option about where we're going to exist, how we're going to exist, who we're going to give, how we're going to give, what mood we're going to give in. But every, all the details are voluntary. All the details are voluntary. And the more civilized you are, the higher you are in the modes of nature, the more you recognize that every living entity is doing everything voluntarily and you respect that. The, the more you're in the mode of ignorance, the less you respect and you, you just take. The mode of ignorance you take, the mode of passion you bargain, the mode of goodness you respect. And you let people give voluntarily only what they want to give. Never, ever, ever impose on somebody else's boundaries and try to force and manipulate them or cajole them or whatever to give something they don't really want to give. So even in married life, there's, it's still voluntary. Whether it's money or sex or cooking or cleaning the house, it's always voluntary. So a higher class person understands it's voluntary and therefore, you know, 
if you're a materialist, then your idea is, I'm going to please the other person, so they'll give me what I want. So that's still not a passion, so my goodness. Because his purpose in pleasing the women is to get sense gratification. That's his purpose. His purpose in pleasing the women isn't to please the women. His purpose in pleasing the women is to get something from them. Like the store wants to please the customer so that you'll spend their money. They don't care if you're really happy or not. They just want you to be happy enough to spend your money. So the mode of passion, we're trying to please people just enough to get something from them. But that makes us their, our, makes us their servant. So yeah, even though he's the king, and even though he's the husband, he has to give them what, what they want. He has to please them. He has to flatter them. Otherwise, they're going to say no. And he's not going to force them because he's a higher class person. So, no, I don't think it's just being humble. I think it's, it's really where, what it's about. I think that's what it's about for most people. You know, all the, all the, not all, but most of the jewelry advertisements are like that. Buy this jewelry for your wife and she'll give you what you want. It's quite clear. It's not um, subtle. It's, it's quite gross. You know. Buy her, even, you know, buy her the new washing machine, she'll give you it. Yes? Mother, isn't the very nature love voluntary? Yes. Like, in other words, someone cannot force you to love them. Exactly. Krishna will not force us to love him. Yes. So that voluntary nature, it's a, it, isn't it, um, it's the basis of real love. Yes. If you want to have a word, one word, for illusion and for reality, it would be force and voluntary. Or Prabhupada one time said, rape and love. So mode of ignorance is stealing. Mode of passion is paying and bargaining. Trying, tr- paying but bargaining. Mode of goodness is paying as out of duty, as a sacrifice, not trying to bargain. And transcendence is just giving out of love. But any time we try to force, if we try to force our body, our senses, our mind, material nature, or any other living entity, we are functioning in illusion. The whole, the whole concept of force is very, it's, it's, it's not, it's antithetical to our spiritual nature. It's, it's, it's the opposite of reality. Individual spontaneous and voluntary is a reality. That is the truth. That is the absolute truth. And Maya, that which is not, is force. And, and uh, the illusion is that force is necessary. We have this illusion that force is necessary. That without force, I'm not going to get what I, what I need. Yeah? On, on this point, force... Um, my question is that when we practice renunciation of sense gratification, there seems to be like there seems to be two well, there's two energies working. There's the, the material nature and there's the spiritual nature. So the spiritual nature is this giving nature, the loving nature, the devotional nature. But then there's the material nature that we're in contact with. So when we're practicing that loving nature. The senses 
um, are still inclined to the sense objects and they're still, you know, they're still functioning in the modes of material nature going on. So it seems to be a type of force to control the senses, maybe to control the, the mind. Maybe in the beginning, but as little as possible because that's exactly the energy you're trying to get free of. Could you, could you, um, you know... Yeah, you know, I have a whole seminar on this. Oh, you do? I sure do, but no one's asked me to give it here. Oh, but nice. yeah, I, I have a whole seminar specifically on sex desire and what is real renunciation, what is false oh, renunciation. But uh, how that came about was sort of interesting. How I ended up putting together that seminar. And I was speaking on the verse in Bhagavatam class on that on that topic. And the devotee said, wow, you know, you've got to put this into a seminar. You cannot control your senses by force. That's what I wanted to You uh, cannot. It, force is, is useful if you're not on the transcendental platform to some extent, sometimes. But if that's your primary method, you're going to fail. And you basically have several failure options. One failure option is you'll just fall down into worse sense gratification than even just normal pious stuff. One is that you'll be, another option is you'll become very angry. You'll start taking the, tasting the anger rasa. There's an anger rasa. You'll get your pleasure from anger. Or ghastliness. Uh, and another option is you'll become very hard-hearted and you'll lose all your ability to feel and to connect. So those are your three options. And hard-heartedness will eventually lead to a fall down or anger or something. You can't stay hard-hearted forever. So that's the result of force. The result of force will be fall down, anger, or hard-heartedness. But a little force is necessary, of course. If you're civilized, you have to employ some force. But that's, that, that, that shouldn't be the primary method. And if when you have a little child, there has to be some force. A little child, you pick them up and stick them in their car seat and belt them in whether they like it or not. But that you don't want that to be your primary child-rearing method. That would be awful. You know? So that's, we're not going to get out of this illusion that things have to be forced and that life is all about power and force and might and, and conquering and with the same mentality. Might makes We're not going to get out of that with the same mentality. We have to get out of that with a different mentality. You know, when, when I mean, Krishna likes strength and he likes the chivalrous rasa. It's not that he doesn't like the chivalrous rasa, that's also a rasa. But it's a diff- that's not a loving platform. Even Krishna's ghastly rasa, Lesna Singhadev, is very loving. Krishna's anger rasa is very loving. And love means voluntary. We can't enter into the realm of love if our methods... Oh boy, what do I love to talk about this? You can't, and you can't... You have to use a method that's in harmony with your goal. I, this, I, I understood this, started to understand it. I understand anything. But anyway, I started to understand this. We're looking at charity. Looking at what? Charity. Charity. So some years ago, many years ago, how many years ago... 13, 14 years ago. Um, it looked like I was going to have to spend a lot of my time doing fundraising. So I took a bunch of courses and bought a whole books, a bunch of books on fundraising. And, and one of them was very life-changing for me. It was called Growing Givers' Hearts. And it was a study of Christian organizations who used Christian techniques to raise funds, that their method of raising funds was in harmony with the Bible, not just their use of the funds. And in reading that, I thought, 
do we do this in our Hare Krishna movement? Is our method for raising funds in the mode of goodness or transcendental, or do we employ mode of passion and occasionally mode of ignorance method of raising funds? And we say as long as the funds are used for a purpose, it doesn't matter, and I realize it does matter. Like Prabhupada says, in the mode of ignorance, Krishna says what Prabhupada says, if you give money at the request of a superior and you regret it afterwards, that's in the mode of passion. And I thought, how much of our money, time, energy, service do we try to manipulate and obligate people to do even though they don't really want to do it? And then later they regret it afterwards. That's charity isn't just money. It's also time and energy. That's asking someone to do charity in the mode of passion. It's, and it damages them. Even if the service is being done for Krishna. If the way they're doing it is in the mode of passion and the way we're asking them to do it is in the mode of passion, it damages them. So in the same way, how you control your senses, one should control one's senses at least in the mode of goodness, if not transcendentally. If you can't yet do it transcendentally, if you control your senses using a tool in the mode of passion, or you control your senses using a tool in the mode of ignorance, you'll become damaged by that tool that you're using. Using the wrong means. And you'll fail. Also. It's by reading a higher text. Has to be. It has to be. It has to be basically two things. It has to be changing the urge back into its original form. Whatever sensory urge you're dealing with, obviously not just sex life, whatever sensory urge you're dealing with, whatever mental urge you're dealing with, tra- transforming it back into its original form, to its original spiritual form, experiencing it on the spiritual platform. And while you're doing that, because it doesn't generally transform immediately, it generally transforms gradually. So while it's transforming, using the material part of it in service. So doing two things. If you, if you think of... I have a whole seminar with visuals on this. But anyway, if you, if you have... You know, think of something that's all dirty. And I'm cleaning it gradually. I've got like a hose, and I'm cleaning it gradually, and I'm turning it back into its clean form. So... As, as the water's coming over it, part of it's clean and part of it's dirty. So the only solution is to make it all clean, but that happens gradually. It doesn't happen all of a sudden. For most of us, almost all of us, it happens gradually. I don't know about you guys, but for me, it sure is happening gradually. So, you know, the, and then the part that's still dirty, use it, dovetail it. Keep dovetailing the dirty part as you're cleaning, and then that part you're, you need to dovetail gets smaller and smaller and smaller and it becomes everything eventually becomes that's the only there's no other way there just is no other way now when you're starting out with it all dirty you may have to employ some willpower and force to some extent but that should be jettisoned as soon as possible and it's, it's, it's damaging it's damaging it's, it's just like um, you know if, you, if your leg is injured they may put on a tourniquet but you better not keep it on too long or the tourniquet itself is going to be damaging so it, it may be necessary in the beginning. Maybe. But you really got to be careful how you apply it. Because the cure itself, like I was talking yesterday, Mr. Gaudi, he was going through cancer three times. And he was saying that the, the chemo will not only kill the cancer, it will kill you. So, you know, you've got to be really careful how it's applied. It's got to be applied. You know, you, so you've got to be really careful if your means of curing is also your means of killing. 
Is that all right? Yeah, it's great. So those two things. You've got to turn it back into what's the original form of the thing you're dealing with? What's the original form of envy? What's the original form of, of lust? What's the original form of greed? What's the original form of anger? What's the, what's the original form of all these things? Go Take it back to the original. And use the... While you're doing that, dovetail the other in service. And there's more than one way to dovetail in service. And if you do that, the risk of failure, the risk of fall down, the risk of becoming hard-hearted is very, very, very small and progress will be very rapid. I think we really need to end now because it is 8.52 in the morning. I've gone way, way over time. Um, thank you very much. All glory to you. Grace, Mother.